call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Welcome to Deadly Justice with Tallulah, your local Aboriginal justice show. Good evening and welcome to Deadly Justice. This fortnight we have some really cool guests on. We have um, our new interns at KCLS. So these two are um, with us for a couple of weeks and they'll be doing some really cool legal work and and, um, client work with KCLS and uh, following our lawyers around and going to court and helping out our people up here. Um, So we have Fran Lamont who is from Perth and is studying uh, postgrad, a Juris Doctor at UWA. And we also have Aaron Bronnett, who is studying an undergrad Bachelor of Laws. I won't, I'm going to butcher that, so I'll get you guys to explain a little bit more about where you're from, um, what you're studying and why you're here and some of the things that you're passionate about, I guess. Sure, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. Um, you go first. Okay, sure. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Aaron. I'm... Uh, in Canberra at the moment. Well, not now, in Broome, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the weather's a lot nicer. Yeah, weather's much nicer. I think it's minus one overnight there tonight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, enjoying the sun up here. And I'm in Broome for four weeks, five weeks, actually. And I'm studying down in Canberra at the ANU, the National University down there. Um, so I'm studying law and the Bachelor of International Security Studies, uh, also doing Indonesian language as part of that. So... Pretty niche combo. Say something. Say something Indonesian um, to prove it. Namasaya Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> that will go with that. Um, and then, so yeah, and I'll handball it off to, to Fran. Hello, I'm Fran. Um, I'm a Perth girl. I study Juris Doctor at UWA, which is a fancy way of saying law. And I have a degree in political science, international relations and languages, p- particularly Italian. Um, do you want me to prove it? Yeah, I think you need to prove it. Mi chiamo Francesca, sono italiana. Excellent. That's, that's all I have to say. That's enough that you <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Um, and so you, you both spent your childhoods in Perth and... Well, Brisbane um, and Canberra for me. And I kind of had a... I was originally in Kalingri, which is in the Wheat Belt, um, then came to Perth and on a property with my parents, my nonna, a lot of cousins, and then for a bit my parents sold everything and we lived in a caravan and travelled across Europe. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's very cool. It was a interesting experience. Everyone thought my mama, me and my sister were gypsies, so we get stopped everywhere. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, I didn't have such an interesting <laughs> road, life on the road at such a young age, but um, I was born in Canberra and then lived my early years in Canberra until I was about, you know, 10 or 11. And we moved up to Brisbane because my dad got a job up there. And then I did all my high school pretty much in, in Queensland, which is uh, an interesting place, pretty different to Canberra actually. And, um, it, I, I, you know, I loved going to school there. And um, But I definitely think it has served me well um, being able to like, you know, compare two different places and study in a place like Canberra, which is um, obviously very progressive and mm. very, um, yeah, just very different from a lot of the, the rest of Australia really. Um, so yeah, no, being in, in Canberra has been a good place for me to study and, um, yeah, and you, you're Jewish as well. So you had a bit of a bigger community 
now in Canberra, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing. So, I mean, um, <laughs> you were going to talk about religion later on, but <laughs> I already brought it up. Um, yeah, my my father's Jewish, my mother is Catholic. Uh, so strictly that means I'm, I'm not Jewish. Um, I, but I identify pretty strongly with that and went to Sunday school as a kid and <laughs> learned Hebrew as a kid, um, which I would, would not be able to rip that one out now. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask. You Shal- want to embarrass Shalom, <laughs> Manishma. That's about all I got. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so you were going to talk about religion, but um, I had an interesting sort of religious, uh, religious experience growing up. I, you know, not baptised, not... Jewish really, um, but grew up with both of those influences in my life and then ended up going to a public school, then to a Catholic school, then to an Anglican school. Uh, a good exposure to a wide variety of religions. So, um, yeah, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a religious person myself, but I think it's a fascinating thing and I think Fran will talk a little bit more about her very interesting religious experiences. Oh, yeah, we always get into that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess growing up, I um, grew up around a lot of trees because I live in a place in uh, in Perth that's called Pickering Brook and it's all orchards and it's a very small community. Most of us are wogs. We're a little Italian, um, little Italian community. Um, so my mum is Italian, so she's Roman Catholic. My dad is Lutheran. And I kind of grew up in a very fundamental environment where we left church and, and went to another one and then left that one because my dad was convinced that these churches weren't strict enough and didn't follow the bible enough um so yeah started off pretty sheltered um went to the local primary school but was put out a lot of classes um and got my main education from home and helped them both of my parents are teachers so it was good education but just uh, omitted or left out um a few things things like that yeah i guess in the later parts of my life i uh, my world suddenly expanded at high school it's interesting that you kind of you both kind of talk about religion as something that you guys you know experience in your childhood, and um, I don't know how much you know about like a religious kind of influence in the Kimberley, mm. but there's certainly a huge religious um, you know Christian kind mm. of presence in the Kimberley, which um, affects a lot of people in a lot of people's lives. Um, and it's interesting because like I was kind of born and raised Catholic as well, and I went to Catholic schools basically my whole life, and. You know, I'm a Eucharistic minister and wow. all of this stuff. <laughs> so I did all of the right things. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm religious, but I'm certainly spiritual. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's something that like I very much put my identity kind of, it's very intertwined mm. with my identity is, is my spirituality. Mm. Um yeah, so I think it's really interesting that you guys kind of go straight to religion because that's the first time I think I've ever had a guest kind of come and talk about their religion. But um, a huge part of your growing up, obviously. And Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, I, don't, I can't speak for Aaron, but for me, um, it was an interesting mix having my dad who is, you know, he's, I don't know, Welsh, I'm assuming French way back because of my last name. And then my mama, who is very deep in her culture as an Italian woman, and being very spiritual because it's just something that's so intertwined with her identity. Um, and my dad, I would say, wasn't inter- intertwined with his identity, so it came across more strict. And it really caused a divide in my own identity because I wanted to be like my mama and my nonna and these really strong women in my life who took on this, you know, 
this idea of God and angels as a very like I guess positive influence but for me it was it was kind of dampened by the way that men in my life um, would treat me based on religion as opposed to a relationship with a supernatural being so yeah and later um, I had a huge divergence from it and explored a lot of different avenues like astrology and Islam and Buddhism um, just to see whether Catholicism and Catholic and just like the Christian religions in general were for me and now I identify and very strongly as an atheist but um, I guess kind of breaking the norm in that I would still say I'm spiritual it's just my way of viewing the world is through science and the things that I can perceive around me but I can still connect with my consciousness and nature um, which gives me that same sort of feeling that I had when I did identify as being religious. It's also really interesting that you guys both talk about like a conflict between religions and being open and how important it is to mm. be open. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learnt having grown up with, again, a very strong kind of Christian influence from my dad's side, also a little bit in my mum's side. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's really important to kind of um, acknowledge that sometimes there are conflicts, especially up here when you're talking about the conflict between mm. Aboriginal culture and Christianity, mm. um, but also being open to that and acknowledging that people's journeys are whatever their journeys are and I, I talk about this a bit and a little bit more on the radio show as well but about my own spiritual journey in the last maybe 18 months and kind of doing what you did as well exploring like um maybe other kind of spiritual like it's, I wouldn't say that I was I'm not Catholic and I don't identify um with the religion but I'm certainly agnostic I believe that there is mm you know, higher power and, and and things kind of, like, they can't just happen randomly for mm. me. I feel like mm. things have all got to align and synchronicity and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, certainly a big part of my identity, mm. which is really interesting. It's interesting that uh, Fran was talking about the your relationship with religion was more or less uh, not about, well, the reason you were sort of pushed away almost was because it wasn't about the relationship with a supernatural being, mm. but rather the, the cultural that, that is the culture that comes along with that religion and the, the exposure you got to that. Definitely. I mean, my, my earliest memories of, of religion were going to, uh, you know, as I said, I first went to a, a, uh, a little public school and I, I couldn't read very well. So my parents uh, very quickly, probably after about two years of being there, pulled me out because I was lagging behind. Like, mm. not just talking about not reading, but really not having any interest in reading and being in a class of 35 other kids in... Um, it wasn't working for, for me or for my parents. So they, they pulled me out and moved me to the local Catholic school, which um, did make a world of difference for my education. Like they taught me to read, which was a start. Um, but my first memories were sitting in, in, in church there and everyone getting up and, you know, walking up and receiving the Eucharist and me just knowing that I couldn't really do that because mm. I wasn't baptised. Uh, and then the, the I sort of went, lived my life there for a couple of years and then when all my friends took off to the the big sort of catholic high school uh, i went applied i applied to go um and i went to the to the interview and said oh yeah like you know knowing full well that i'm not baptized and everything um you know really tried to sell myself and be like you know yeah my favorite favorite subject's religion and uh, you know i love it because all my <laughs> friends are going to the school right and, um, yeah, I got turned down. Didn't get let in because I was, wasn't baptised, yeah. um, which, yeah, for me was re really, you know, an interesting exposure um, to sort of 
and I'm not saying Catholicism is the only religion that can do this by any extent, uh, but it was my first exposure to being like feel, feeling like I was an outsider, I guess. Um, and you know, I think everyone has that at different stages through their life, but uh, it's an important thing. I mean, I got completely um, ostracized from my church community as I got older, and part of that was because. Um, quite early on I was identified as being the brightest kid or one of the brightest kids but because I was a woman I wasn't allowed to have an opinion so I would often be shut down or I'd go to the priest or pastor and I'd want to talk to them about something and they didn't have an answer for me so I kind of felt like I was being treated a bit like a fool and then suddenly rumors started going around because I was challenging the norm because it's, it's kind of my belief that spirituality is unique and that you don't have an agenda for another person to go on a journey and come out as a Catholic or come out with a particular um, outcome and religious uh, identity. For me, spirituality is you go on a journey and someone creates their own decisions and creates their own code of conduct from external influences. But um, I guess with religion, it's this agenda of wanting people to stay within and conform to the status quo. Mm. And it was quite a strict com little community I was in, so um, I didn't really fit in asking too many questions. It's funny you say that because I, I hear, I obviously hear that it, there's, you know, a lot of exclusion, mm. but also in that it can also create a, a real kind of sense of belonging for mm. people as well. Mm. So I guess it kind of depends on how you experience this. And, and I think that's really horrible and sad. Mm. But um, also I think about like, one example here is um, know of or a story of is a family member who got who was pretty gone down a pretty horrible path and then there was the church come into town and they got baptized mm. and fully changed their life Thank away God. Wow. yeah and it's interesting because like I said that's not something that I identify with and and for me it obviously caused some kind of what's the word like a battle in internal battle yeah, yeah. but um obviously has done wonders for this person mm -hmm. and I think yeah I, I think it can do both things I guess yeah it's so strange how one thing that's under one label yeah. can have so many different outcomes yeah and, and I kind of wish that I could have and that sense of belonging and I think I've taken a lot of things from my Catholic upbringing as well like I was talking to Aaron earlier about um what's really important to me and what I'm really passionate about is people finding a sense of meaning and purpose mm. And I actually, I learned that from doing religion mm. studies in year 11 and 12. As an ATAR subject, we talked about meaning and purpose mm. and how people find this meaning and purpose mm. in their lives and all of this stuff. So it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I, like that's something I've obviously taken away from that. Um, we'll move on. I just want to ask you a little bit about why you're here mm. and some of the things you're passionate about and what this means for your like future. Uh, yeah, so. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Um, I'm here with Aurora, um, which is a program that basically links students up with different organisations that work in Indigenous affairs. And I applied for that because um, down in Perth, I um, have done work in migration law, family law and employment law, predominantly with Noongar clients or clients from a refugee background. And um, I fell in love with the work and the people that I work with and I guess that comes from my my strong belief and um, values for paying things forward and giving back to to the broader community um, and so I came up here because it was my first preference and I'd like to live up here one day 
um, and get to know a different part of WA and stay within my state because I, I do love this state. Um, and yeah, doing it for four or five weeks. And I guess more broadly, I'm passionate about um, feminism, intersectional feminism and um, women everywhere. And so family law, that comes up a lot, um, as well as just generally um, people. I love people and hearing about their life experiences and um, seeing their culture and things that are important to them. So I thought the Kimberley and Broome in particular would be a great place to go and learn more about this amazing state and the people in it. Yeah, I have a little bit of a different reason for coming up here. For, for one, I'd never been to Western Australia before coming Welcome. Coming up to the Kimberley. So it's been amazing so far. And it is an incredible state. Uh, and it, I think many people have probably said this before, but the, the, the true scale of it is, is pretty, you know, pretty mind-blowing. It's uh, not the ACT. No, it's not the ACT, which takes you, for those who haven't been there, 40 minutes to drive from top to to bottom and you can ACT you can just walk across the the border to go get something from Queenbian which is the border town on in, on the New South Wales side and you'll work with people who who live in and work in New South well live in New South Wales and uh, yeah it's a it's a definitely a totally different experience but um what brought me up to uh, work with the KCS up here is the ANU has a um, I don't know if I would call it long running but they have a, a couple of years of a of a connection with uh, the KCLS uh, where they send interns up and in return the um, interns write a, a sort of a research paper whilst we're up here. There are, a few, there are a few things I've got in mind that I might want to research. Um, haven't entirely locked in yet. Uh, that's that's the, probably the problem for when I get back to Canberra to be honest. Um, but yeah, we, we come in paralegal up here for a four to five weeks and and yeah i'm not the first one to come up here there's been a quite a few before me but i'm the first for a while because covid has obviously made that tricky and uh broom wasn't so accessible from the rest of australia so i'm very lucky to be up here yeah so well yeah so we've had a very long kind of like you said relationship with anu and we've had a few interns come in and and do, yeah, paralegal work with us. And our last intern was, yeah, just as COVID was kind of starting in March last year. Was it year. Calvin? It was Calvin and another one. Well, for those listening who don't know, it's funny because Calvin now is employed yes. as a solicitor. So there. Calvin... One of our bosses. Yeah, yeah. So Calvin <laughs> did come in as an intern. Shows you how long it's been. <laughs> uh, yeah. And is now one of our lawyers. Um, and Calvin tried his very, very best to impress us all mm. as an intern. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but he did. He did really well. And, um, yeah, obviously he's one of our really good lawyers. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. I, what I really like about the intern program is that um, internship program is that, like, you know, I get to meet all kinds of people. And, the like, my upbringing, obviously, is mostly based around the Kimberley, but also uh, all over Australia because my mum would call her drifter so she used to <laughs> travel from one place to the next to the next and I used to just follow her around um but like being able to share my experience and then hear about other people's experience and and we're around the same age so our upbringings you know how different they are in the same country I think is really interesting mm. um yeah so and and I like that you know people come in they get to have a little taste of the Kimberley and hopefully sometimes they stay oh, I mm. really want to stay yeah oh, I want to stay so bad <laughs> yeah, yeah no amazing. 
It's um, it's certainly a place. I mean, maybe I'm biased, but it's certainly a place that kind of draws you in. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, what about your passions? I know you spoke a little bit about your passions. What about yours? Uh, I mean, I think coming up here, definitely passionate. Um, obviously about Indigenous justice, and I mean, I take that from you know my own perspective as well, which is not as an Indigenous person, but um, you know, giving Indigenous people a voice and a right to. Uh, choose their own destiny. I think that's really important, and uh, I think that's what my ultimate goal is. It's not to, to, to. Uh, it's to help give that voice to people who have so long been voiceless. I think, and coming up here and experiencing, working in communities that you know, um, have been voiceless for so long. I think is is, is sort of what drew me in. Or maybe not even voiceless, but just uh, giving them a platform to uh, yeah, be able to be heard. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, voiceless from Canberra, I think is what you mm. would say. I don't think... I think the voice has been yelling and screaming for a long time, you know, um, just not being listened to. So, yeah, Fran raises a very good point there. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what drew me in and uh, my sort of interest in, in this area was kind of sparked when... From my experiences at going to school in Queensland where I think... Uh, and then contrasting that to my experiences in Canberra, which is, uh, you know, I saw there were certain things missing from my education in Queensland and, you know, celebrating NAIDOC week a week late, for example, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, just a bit of a weird, weird thing and seeing even flags being um, being raised upside down and things like that because people don't know which way. That, you know, those sorts of things, you know, stick with you. Uh, for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, that, that, those have definitely... They wo- those woke me up to there being a big issue because, you know, I, I didn't live in the Kimberley and I didn't see a lot of, of, of issues that, you know, do exist, that the struggles that Indigenous people sort of have to deal with living in Australia. So, um, yeah, and I had an incredible... I have an incredible professor, um, a Torres Strait Islander man by the name of Asmi Wood, who... Um, you know, he's probably my idol. He's an incredible academic, but mostly an in- incredible human who I've known since I was very young. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool to be taught by him in a few subjects and he runs some incredible subjects and he's a, you know, a powerful, powerful indigenous voice in this country from from the law, you know, from from the sides, sides of both laws as well. You know, he, he most recently he wrote a really interesting article on um, how, you know, perhaps internal methods for indigenous sort of recognition and, and, and getting a voice and all these sorts of things in parliament. Perhaps the time has come that we have to start looking, uh, well, that indigenous uh, peoples need to start looking outside to international forums, you know, which I think is a pretty, pretty incredible point to be making that hasn't really been debated much. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting that you say that because I I also studied at UWA. I think we might have been in some of the same, year. same <laughs> units. Yeah, um, and and they talk about you know the the UN and the Security mm. Council and how effective or not effective <laughs> those um, those things are. I guess, and um, I think you're right. I think it's important because uh, like this is stuff that I was saying to you earlier. Like. Aboriginal people kind of get sick of feeling like a broken record. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think also so important for people like you guys, interns coming in, taking your time to come and sit and, um, you know, meet Aboriginal people on at their table. Mm. And listen. Why do we have to keep 
feeling like we've got to come to Gadia people or white mm. people's table. Mm. It should be the other way around, mm. you know, like for too long, Aboriginal people have kind of had to make the step out of their mm. homes and out of their countries to make their voices be heard. Mm. But how much more special is it when people get to come and meet Aboriginal people on their, their turf, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think it's, um, to me, it's crazy the attitude that some people have where they don't see it as a privilege to have the oldest continuous living culture be willing to come and have a, you know, be a representative of a certain group at our kind of Anglo functions because they just assume it's something that is a token or they have to be there, but really it's a huge privilege that we live in this country and have access to wisdom from, you know, this culture that is, these cultures that have been going on for such a long time. Um, it's always, it's not seen as something so incredible. Whereas I think maybe that international recognition could really shine a light on how incredible it is and give us some perspective. The right to self-determination. Yeah, mm. I, I 100% agree. You know, it's interesting you bring up NAIDOC week and why it's, you know, a week late. And I'm, <laughs> I don't know if you heard me talking earlier, but I really don't like NAIDOC week. Yeah. I'm not a fan of NAIDOC week. Mm. And I think one of the reasons is because, who's it for? Yeah. Is it performative just for people to feel good? Yeah. Like they've yeah, ticked sure. it off the, off the list. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so yeah, we'll have this one week a year to celebrate Aboriginal people, but only one week a year. Mm-hmm. So what about the rest of the year? What are you doing then? And why do people, Aboriginal people only, why are they only allowed to celebrate their culture on these days? Shouldn't we give them access and opportunity and choice to celebrate ceremonies mm-hmm. and t- t- traditions mm-hmm. and culture every day of the year and be active members of their economy or their community or their society like why is it one week a year it just seems illogical that you're trying to fit um events for 200 plus different groups and cultures into seven days or five days five business days one week yeah the well i mean and when you phrase it that way it makes it even more absurd that you could then how terrible it is to then you know try and then celebrate that a week after you know it's just like I know. It's like you're doing it wrong first <laughs> and then you do it wrong if you're gonna, twice. If you're going like, to just, just make the one fatal error. Yeah, yeah. Salt in the yeah. Way. Rather than realise, oh, yeah. you forgot. Anyway, I need to be very careful about that because that's obviously my own personal opinion. Mm. And look, I do appreciate that it does have a role to play and compared to where we were about 50 years ago, mm. it's obviously, you know, it's it's basic. maybe its role is a bridge mm-hmm. and maybe that's step one and maybe there's further steps to come i guess mm. i don't know it's not like first step yeah we've done it it's like no continue to do better keep going yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's not used as a platform to show that this should only be like the bare absolute beginning you know there's so much further that needs to happen after this yeah but it's not just like a week to showcase that we're making progress no it's like a week to showcase that you know this is actually yeah no i think it's very interesting that you brought that up but um great to hear about you know obviously you guys have a passion and you're interested in coming to the kimberley and working with aboriginal people and certainly we can use the help up here you know there's we don't have very many um lawyers or legal services up in the kimberley that um you know and we definitely have lots of legal issues mm. so um particularly on the civil side which is what for our listeners who are wondering um KCLS does you know we help people with civil matters and uh, I think there's a lot of uh, focus on 
criminal uh, criminal justice up here, uh, which is obviously really important because there is a huge need in that area. But definitely the result is that civil matters, uh, which are also really, really important, maybe not as urgent because people aren't sitting in custody, but really important for people's lives up here. And, you know, I think possibly a neglected area. Absolutely. Like I kind of define KCLS as the legal service who who take care of everything that slips through the cracks. Everything yeah. else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but one of the biggest issues that we deal with is tenancy. Yeah. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. Mm. Um, and, you know, witnessing, I think, why I'm passionate about this is because I, I go home to my community, well, I try to most weekends, and I go and stay with my dad. And I'll give you one example. The last time I was there, this is about three weeks ago because I've just gotten back from a holiday. Ooh. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so about three weeks ago, I was really thirsty and I can't drink the water in my community because it makes my guts, mm. I get a guts ache, you know, and it takes me a little bit of time to get used to the water. Just think if that's me coming from room mm. to a community, what kind of water are people drinking mm. in communities? And so I have to take bottled water all the time and I forgot to bring bottled water and so I was really Uh-oh. thirsty and I was like, oh, okay, I need to drink water. I turned the tap on, I let it run for a good probably 20 minutes. The water still coming out of it after 20 minutes was still brown. Mm. It's brown water and I took photos of it and videos mm. of it. How is that acceptable in a country like this, you know? Absolutely. Well, we have so much wealth. Even the term country like this, they really like to pump that out of the cities, um, forgetting that, you know, the people who are more geographically distanced are just as important. They're in this country and they populate most yeah. of its area. But yeah. they like to put this rhetoric of, oh, yeah, we're us in the cities, we're all looked after. But everyone else just goes, well, slips through the cracks, as you say. It's the geographical Absolutely. majority of the country, you know. Yeah. You're looking at it in terms of space, you know, a huge amount of it yeah. is neglected. Yeah. And in, even in this state, I mean, we're in like the pretty much the wealthiest, you know, well, in, yeah, terms in terms of the, of the mining, state, yeah, the mining and, industry. And agriculture there is and all so that. much. And, those, and that's happening in, that money's made in rural, regional areas. Mm. You know, that's where the money's actually coming from. Sure, it's run out of Perth, but. Yeah. People in buildings. Yeah, yeah, the people st- sitting in the big buildings, but like those that money is actually coming out of the ground in places like here and you know not and far from here. Pilbara. Yeah, so Absolutely. And this is this is the hard thing because I sit back and I watch my family and and the the like the most difficult thing is like for my nieces and nephews, they grow up in community. They are brought up to accept a lower standard of life. Mm. How is that okay? Mm. You know, for people who you know, live in the city and don't ever come, at, you know, leave their bubble to come to a regional or remote place. They won't ever know. Mm. Whereas Aboriginal people in communities are just expected to accept that standard. And I yeah. think that's why um, I was motivated to go into law because you're not speaking on behalf of anyone. You're just saying, hey, here's a service I can provide. And for the client to know that and for general people to know that it's not okay that you've accepted this standard because other people made you feel that way. And if you need, I can help you ask for better because you deserve better. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so so going back to what, what we offer or what we try to offer is, is help with housing and tenancy and stuff like that. And yeah, but we're only two, like we're only one tiny little organisation mm. with three lawyers. Servicing and a huge area, mm. you know. Yeah. And so I think it's really hard, uh, I think, and I also me and Leigh kind of talk about this a little bit, is this like for lawyers and, and people who come into the Kimberley, it's all fine and good. People like 
you know, local people and Aboriginal people who work in legal services or work in community services and all of that kind of stuff, uh, we don't ever get to switch off mm. because we don't ever get to go home and get, go, okay, that's my client's problem and I'll deal with mm. that in the morning. I literally have to sleep with it because mm. that's my family, for starters. Mm. Yep. Number two, people are contacting me at all hours of the night time, early hours of the morning going, can you ask the lawyer to go and sort out? And I'm like, okay, yep. Um, so it's like it's it's important for I think people to come and see that that's how it works for Aboriginal people and and for Aboriginal people yes to be empowered to be able to help themselves but also acknowledging the difficulty of of being able to do that um, and I know that lay me and lay lay is our client services officer and is a local um, Aboriginal Aboriginal woman from Broome and like it's so hard when you know we've got a kind of feel the weight of our people as well as trying our very best to kind of help. Within frameworks that are pretty difficult, hey? Pretty challenging to navigate for even lawyers. Um, so It also depends where the money goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like in, I know in Perth, people are willing to work overtime because they're getting paid for it. And up here, it's not, the money's not coming, there's not enough money coming into you don't get paid in six-minute intervals like yeah. you do in the cities, yeah. you know? But it's such important work because it's about people, not about um, companies. It's funny you say that because I had an argument with someone um, <laughs> a few, maybe a month and a half ago because they, they talked a lot about um, putting money into the Kimberley and how much money and funding we need because we need money to do this and money, 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 and then how much money is coming out of this. And I turned around and I said, why is that important? Mm. Why are we measuring our outcomes on how much money goes in and out? Mm. No, we need to be measuring our outcomes on the social, like... Well-being. Yeah, well-being mm. of, of people in general mm. in the Kimberley. That's not okay. Mm. Oh, how much... Like, okay, so we did we did maybe $300 worth of services mm. in this community. It's the outcome. Who gives mm. a crap about how much mm. money exactly. you've... Why are we measuring that? Oh, this person's had a better day and they're doing really well. That's how we should be measuring things, you know? When it becomes money, it's almost like you're then attaching... um, You're then attaching a price to people. It becomes labour, but in a way that is affecting people's lives. And, you know, even with the scholarships that I see um, some of my friends get um, who are from the Pilbara, from the Kimberley, and they're down at UWA, um, it's often from the big mining companies. But it's like you're paying for one student to come to this uni she can barely afford her groceries because you're really only paying for accommodation but at the end of the day she's a human she's not just labor for and you can't expect her to just come back and work for you like it's it's crazy that people put a price and measure people through money that's so funny that you said that because another person said to me i won't get out of bed for less than a hundred thousand dollars because i know my my worth (laughs) like honey i'm priceless (laughs) no i said well i get out of bed every day for a lot less than that (laughs) and the reason is because i don't put a money value on myself i think that my work is in what a sad way to view the not your way but (laughs) i mean but a sad way to you know to see your value i mean it's kind of the value of this uh country so-called australia um, yeah capitalism i would know and then i i said like and then she said she talked about her children and said i want my children to know their value and i said whoa like if like my dad or my mum would gladly spend millions and billions and dollars billions of dollars on me because I'm their child, mm. I'm but 
whether or not my parents have access to millions <laughs> and billions of dollars is a different story. Mm. So I said I'd prefer not to put my value because I think the work that I do for however money much I get, mm. it's not ever about the money. Mm. It's about it's me feeling like, yeah, yeah. Mm. me feeling like, number one, I'm contributing to my community mm. and my society and also um, like I can get up every day and, and feel like I've mm. maybe helped someone have a better, easier day, mm. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that's something that I'm really passionate about. I could keep going I on. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it shows that in this country, really, you are countercultural in in the sense that not only that you are Aboriginal and that you have, you know, all these obstacles that have people have tried to place against you, but also that you value people and people value you rather than you valuing money and getting a price or salary in return. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that's the hard thing because... In, in government, in government, that'll always be the argument mm. is how much money it costs, mm. how much money comes out of it. Um, yeah, so it's kind of this ongoing conflict always that happens in, the, in Kimberley and, and with Aboriginal mm. people. Mm. Gets us all fired up. Yeah. Mm. And if you just watch the budget night, you can, you know, fill your brain with all these numbers, which at the end of the day, you have no idea what the actual outcomes on the ground are going to be. What does it mean? And numbers yeah. that we all created as well. Like, it's so strange to me that it's all just a construct, something that we all made up, and then suddenly everyone abides by it. Yeah. Mm. So I think um, somebody mentioned to me that Aboriginal people are like the biggest industry in Australia. Mm. It's like, okay, cool. So it's providing a lot of jobs yeah. for people to work with Aboriginal people, but... Mm. What about the actual outcomes, outcomes mm. for Aboriginal people? Because I'm pretty sure we've still got rheumatic heart disease that's affecting mm. Aboriginal people in the Kimberley. I can literally, seven of my close immediate family members have all had or have rheumatic mm. heart disease. I think it's also a sad reality that how much do these people working in this industry actually want the outcomes, the desirable outcomes um, that better Aboriginal communities because if it puts them out of a job, then I don't think they'd exactly. be very happy. It's so it's like, is aid actually helping? Is yeah. well, funding well, actually you, helping? You walk around a town like Broome and you can, the town is dominated by, by officers that are there to, you know, support the community ostensibly. Quote, unquote. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, yeah, you would, you would think that would lead to really positive outcomes and everyone would be, you know, living healthy, thriving lifestyles when, you know, yeah, it's planned obsolescence. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's if you paint a singular narrative and a single story about a certain group of people, people in who are removed from it in the cities believe it and want to get a job out of it. So it's almost better for the companies and the industries that are working with Aboriginal people to just band-aid it and pretend they're doing something even though they're not actually. Yes. Yeah. Oh, honey, I guess. <laughs> we should, of we course, we should, of course, say that KCLS does incredibly important for Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Well, 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 but we, that one's we, right. we actually, you know. That one's a bit different. We try. The, the government has to still exist, so. Oh, look, and I guess it's something, uh, this is a hard thing because we can talk as much as we want about this, but does anybody have any actual proper good resolutions? <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or you know or is anyone listening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i guess it. it's it's like the big question and 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 i think you know I, i'm struggling to aboriginal people in general everybody's kind of struggling to find uh an answer or maybe find an answer that kind of fits in this is where it gets really hard because as an aboriginal person i, I acknowledge that aboriginal people are a minority in australia and so since when has a society ever kind of 
what's the word like stopped to help a minority like uh, you, do you know what i mean like yeah this is a hard thing. Like Aboriginal people make up what seven percent of the population. Unfortunately, Australia will not, mm. as a whole, will not stop going about their day. You get lots of people like you guys and and lawyers and everybody else who who genuinely want to. Yeah. But if the rest of Australia works for everybody else, they're not yeah. going to want to take a second out of their day to think, oh yeah, uh, black again, people about, over there. It's like, about numbers again. Mm. And I think for me, a huge influence was. Um, you know, I don't really need to put it under this label, but intersectional feminism in the sense that, to me, it's very matriarchal in in the true sense of the word. So matriarchy means respect for the mother. And for me, it makes sense um, when I was learning about this that I would pay my utmost respect and the most respect to the oldest culture because everyone else has, you know, come afterwards and that's where the most wisdom is from. And so, you know, I think it's actually a very... Um, it's a very different way to view the world when you see it through that lens because it's about not about numbers it's about where does the respect go but i think um yeah we're a long way from that becoming the norm i think uh n- numbers are important but i think people can also i mean this is something that's very open to debate i think and maybe people are tired of having this debate already but i think there is um people can perhaps see past the numbers if they're actually aware of the extent of the history. And I think, so, truth-telling is really important. Um, And Henry Reynolds, um, a really brilliant historian, has written a book on this exactly uh, that he released this year, and I I think it was a fantastic book. But, you know, for me, I hadn't realised that even going to a, you know, supposedly one of the best universities you can go to in Australia and learning about the law and all this, which is, you know, I'm very grateful for, I was completely ignorant as to the true extent of the history that has occurred, you know, just even in the past, uh, you know, 250 years. What's, you know, what actually is the the result of that, you know, that goes beyond what we just taught in high school, which is that, you know, Captain Cook came and then there's sort of this big blank bit of history and then we get to today and life is great, but you don't see the true toll of that until you actually engage with proper historical sources. And I think you know engaging in truth telling on a national stage is you know really a important way forward there's a par this kind of like this old um i guess story a folk story that comes out of somewhere in east africa um that a friend of mine was telling me about and it was that the the lion's story um will never be told until the lion learns to write so everyone will think that the hunter is the victor until the lion learns to mm. write and I think that's really powerful in thinking about history because um, people often think that it's it's a some sort of you know big sin or big error to rewrite history. That I'm doing quotations at that point when really you're just revealing a different sti- side of history and the story of people who weren't able to write the books previously. Do you know it, it, that's really interesting? Um, I just came back from Tasmania and the his history with Aboriginal people in Tasmania is horrible and mm. it's really sad and and i found myself um really emotional at times in tasmania mm. um and i was a bit of a what is it like a shiny trophy mm. in tasmania just because i they don't often see brown mm. quote mm. tasmania uh, aboriginal people in tasmania mm. which is horrible because they don't uh, they don't ever ask about why mm. why aboriginal people because they got you know shot in lines of they'd line up and shoot all every black person they saw. It's horrible. 
Um, and we went to Bruni Island um, and me and my best friend, my best friend is Gadia, so she's non-Indigenous and she's fair, very fair skin and blonde hair and green eyes. So we, we, uh, we, we say that we're polar opposites, but I really think she's like the embodiment of my, the other half of my soul. So, but um, anyway, so we go, to, we go to Bruni Island and we're going down Adventure Bay and this really beautiful scenery and all of this stuff and we pull up at the beach and we kind of get out and have a look around. And right there on the beach is this plaque mm. about Captain Cook's second landing place or something like that and i thought you know that's actually really horrible because yes it's important that this is a historical site but i'm reading this little plaque it had four paragraphs on the fleet and who who landed here and da, 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 and there's tiny like three sentences footnote, on the yeah, footnote, yeah on the aboriginal you know the significance for aboriginal people yeah. on mm. this site so it's and an afterthought yeah, it was horrible. And I, me and my best friend kind of looked at each other and went, gosh, this is nonsense. And if this was kind of, if this was the Kimberley, people would have been like, yeah. mm. why, are we, why do we have this plaque up here? That's mm. not relevant to us. Let's get rid of it. Mm. It was horrible. And then also my experience in Tasmania was that I was the black person and everybody was either really excited to see this black person or they, like I, I, the other day, this actually happened to me about three days ago. I was standing under a bridge in um, Deloraine and um, it was a plaque on the bridge and it had, you know, Aboriginal, like, I don't know, it was talking about the history of the Aboriginal people in that area. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at it and I took a photo of it and I was reading it. Behind me I could hear people going, look, it's an Aboriginal, look, it's an oh Aboriginal. And I'm going, yep. And so me and my best friend kind of... Want to take a picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and my best friend kind of linked arms and stormed away from mm. there and whatever. Um, so that was one point. It's interesting that you say that. Also, another point was that what we talk about is historical and how important it is to kind of make sure that we're not sweeping this stuff under the rug mm. and, and acknowledging truth-telling in history. Also about acknowledging truth-telling in present day. Yeah. Because like I said about this bloody tap in this house my dad's house mm. you know who, who the hell knows about that that's not something that's covered yeah. by the media no. that's something that's swept under the rug and it's happening now mm. it's today like or if it does get you know media coverage it's like the hot thing for that minute yeah. or that week and then suddenly again it's under the rug again there was yeah. there's i think there's a good a, a pretty good term that i think captures this this indifference really accurately because i think it is just indifference often but uh it's not just indifference. I think it's a cult of forgetfulness, mm. and that and that was um, the way W. H. Stanner, probably like one of the most um, significant historians in Australia, in, in 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 modern sort of Australian history, has sort of called this phenomenon, right? People just wanting to forget about the reality that we have seen, you know, in history, in you know, really, really, really recent history in Australia, and what's happening now. I think, yeah. It's a cult of forgetfulness, and I think that sums up, uh, you know, a large part of why we think in this country. And the reason for forgetting is often so that people can maintain their lives, um, while other people are going through it. They can just cruise along and not have to change because they're. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask you is a little bit about where to from here. Mm. Um, so, what you guys are interested in doing, whether you want to move to the Kimberley <laughs> and live here. Um, uh, yeah, finishing your degrees and what that looks like for you guys. And then maybe, like, I think all of our discussion is really important. 
Um, and I think also us being able to share something from, like I said, very different backgrounds and very different upbringings. What your advice to maybe some young people listening um, might be? Mm. Do you want to go uh, first? Yeah, happily. So um, for two from here, really, I think like a lot of people I don't know, uh, it's probably the, the first thing. I, I've got to finish my degree, which, you know, I've got another year of that left and do honours. And then from there on, I'm not sure, um, you know, whether I want to go back into community law or, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I think that's one of those things where I'll cross that bridge when I when I come to it. Um, but definitely, you know, this has been a pretty incredible, you know, an amazing experience coming up here. And I've only been here for a couple of weeks. So um, I can't wait for the, you know, time that I've still got here. Uh, you're asking about advice that I have. Um I mentioned earlier how I was really slow to pick up like um, learning in the classroom. It was something I just was not keen on. And I don't think I even I think there are various points. It was probably about to grade three or four where I could really sort of um, even begin to read. Uh, so for me, I was a slow starter. I was a slow starter. Um, and my parents, I think, thought there was something very wrong with me, which is fair enough. I'd be pretty concerned as well um, because all the... The boys and girls in my class were already reading, you know, Harry Potter, and I was still stuck on um, Budgie the helicopter, you know. <laughs> uh, getting Can't recall that one. <laughs> getting, getting, getting stuck on the same same words every time. <laughs> so, you know, my parents were very dedicated to my learning, which was amazing. So I'm very grateful for that. And I, I, in another reality where I didn't have that sort of, you know, support, I don't know. I might not be studying law today. I might not be here today. Um, I don't know what I'd be doing. So... I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities that, you know, education have given me, but has given me, but also very conscious of the fact that everyone has a different pace of learning. And, you know, some people will pick it up straight away. And particularly for kids, <laughs> the rate of learning for, for boys, for girls, for anyone, you know, it's just so, so enormous. Like everyone can learn at different rates. So for me, for people who are, you know, think that academics might not be for them now, and maybe if you think that in the future, that's fine. But also just have it at the back of your mind that things, I think, can change. So a love for learning and be curious is your advice. Yeah, yeah. Curiosity, I think, is, in a, is a fantastic thing. Um, if I wasn't curious, I think I probably wouldn't have any curiosity in coming somewhere like this, you know? Um, and, you know, challenging my, my preconceptions and... Uh, you know what I get taught of, out of a book, and I and I will emphasize that I think you know you can only learn so much from a book, of course, but I think those two things have to go hand in hand. I think books can help a lot. Books are brilliant. Reading is brilliant. Uh, it can teach you another perspective, and you can learn more perspectives than you could ever possibly sort of hear just by sitting in front of someone. Um, but yeah, I, I I think you've got to do both of those things. You know, real world learning and also book learning are important. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. And one thing that I'm very, you know, talk about, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I am very passionate about um, is is alternate education and finding whatever your niche is. Yeah, for sure. And being valued or um, being allowed, I guess, to be that be your pathway and, and you to be considered successful regardless yeah. of whatever your pathway is. 100%. Again, back to my whole meaning and purpose argument, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, challenging yourself is important but also, yeah, being being like open to whatever you want to do and that being your thing and 
that being of value to us as a community, a society, an economy, whatever. Mm. Mm. But yeah. dismissing your um, intellect at such a young age, you know, no one should do that. You know, I think everyone's got different different smarts, <laughs> if you want to say, and yeah. everyone's got a different strength and, you know. Yes, I literally so had this discussion with an Uber driver yesterday <laughs> <laughs> and I say, he said to me, everybody needs to learn English and, oh. and I was like, you know what, great, brilliant, but also like I think about and I talk about this same family member quite a bit, one of, you know, a family member, he he can't really write or construct um, in, like written English sentences very well but he can speak four languages mm. so why are we talking about this bloke you know we're saying oh he's dumb because he doesn't know he's illiterate because mm. he doesn't know how to formulate a sentence a written mm. English sentence mm. he can speak more languages than I can and more than most people a lot more than most yeah, people definitely. so yeah. what the heck you know yeah. like why isn't he considered a successful you know why are you only judging someone's intelligence based off a language you can understand or a format that you can understand absolutely it's so restricting and i think that's why it's important to maintain a love of learning yeah yep and i guess do you want me to go on yep okay. you next okay so um i guess going back to when i was younger um there's often times that i've felt out of place being a woman in a community that didn't really encourage me to learn but also um i am queer and we talked about this uh, term before um, but I guess that's the easiest way to say it Um, and so I often felt out of place so I guess I just encourage someone that if you feel out of place for any reason whether it's because um, you're in Australia and you are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and you feel out of place just know that you are you are valued and if you have that sense of value within yourself even though the rest of the world isn't giving it to you you're not an imposter anywhere and I think that's something that's really important for me is just not having this sense of of being out of place, just knowing that I am valuable, um, yeah. even if other people don't <laughs> want me to believe it about myself. And then my second piece of advice would be once you have that within yourself or even if you're on the journey to getting that sense of, you know, self-worth, pass it on to others. There should be enough space in this world for all of us to succeed. Um, and I think... Often in Australia, people forget about that. Um, they think there's only a limited number of jobs. But I think if we work hard enough, we can lift each other up together and, yeah, hype each other up. Yeah, I think that's a really important piece of advice. And I think um, my journey is maybe similar to yours, um, uh, similar but different. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about, like, being white and black mm. in one. So my mum's white and my dad's black. Mm. And I, well, I was kind of one of those kids who never really fit in anywhere and as I become an adult I just acknowledged and I've uh, you know I've come to realize that people just love me Mm. regardless I don't give a shit if I'm white or I'm black or I'm too white or I'm too black or whatever you know I, I, I have people around me who love me and value me and support me but it certainly was a journey because I was always the outcast I was what they say too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids so uh, certainly a journey that I had to kind of um, go through but also yeah finding a place where now I can find value in my diversity I guess mm. whatever that means <laughs> um, but also then helping people who are maybe on uh, are on similar journeys or, or need some help with for sure yeah it's, I think that's important I very much value safe spaces and creating them for myself but also other people so being selective about who I hang out with or or um, you know giving opportunities to people that I think deserve it or are going to create representation for others 
um, I think safe spaces and also open spaces are really important where you can collaborate and feel safe together, um, not like you're an outcast. Very interesting. Thank you for your lovely pieces of advice. Um, <laughs> one other last thing I'm going to make you guys do is pick a song. So It's a song called Get Me Out by King, St- King Stingray. Okay. Um, and it's about Get Me Out of the City. Oh, which cool. I thought was quite, um, and it's by, by uh, some Indigenous and non-Indigenous artists, actually, who are in a band together. I don't actually know much about King Stingray, Stingray at all, but if you're out there listening, uh, I would encourage you to Google them because they've got some interesting music. Beautiful. Taste my coffee. So that was Fran and Aaron, our interns with KCLS for the next few weeks. If you pop into our office, you can come and say hello to them. Thanks for tuning in this week and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.